You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. In introduction, I want to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That's interesting to think about this in light of what we recently covered. We were talking about the ten virgins, the wise and the foolish virgins, and we learned some interesting lessons from there. And here Paul is telling the Ephesians that we should not be unwise, but be wise. And he's, he's mentioning how you can be wise. One of the ways, of course, that we saw recently is that you can acquire the oil, you can acquire the word, and that, would, that is what we saw, the word and the power. You, you err because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God, so we know we need the word of God, and we need the anointing of the Spirit that comes, is empowering, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we receive that power to be witnesses. And we are filling up with the oil, and God blessed us in those meetings with His presence and gave us new oil, fresh oil, so we carry it. And here we see that we should also make the most out of every opportunity because there are times ahead that are not easy, evil days, it says, difficult times that we will go through, but we're going to make the best out of every situation. It also says in Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Now, I like what Jesus says here about life. You either lose it or you save it. If you save it, you lose it. If you lose it, you save it. And it's kind of hard to understand sometimes, but I see here a certain degree of risk involved in the way that we live our lives for God. And we know the definition of risk is basically gamble or to pay something out, invest, or do something without any real hope of a return. And we see that Jesus teaches this pattern in our relationships with people. In fact, he goes on to criticize relationships that are built on no-risk scenarios. In other words, you bless the people who can bless you back. There's no risk of you not having some type of return if you bless a friend that is on an equal level with you, you know they're also going to bless you back. But when you bless people that are not capable of blessing you, well, then you run the risk of not seeing a return from them. And so you lose something. And this is really what Jesus is talking about, losing our lives in service. But there are a lot of people who like to play it safe. We know the rich young ruler was challenged to go and sell everything and give it to the poor and then follow Jesus. But he had security, he had stability. He didn't want to risk that. So instead, he went away sad to think about it. And Jesus then told certain parables and stories about people who also didn't want to take a risk. And this is the thing that I see in the scriptures, that God is looking for people who are not looking simply to play it safe, but are willing to take some chances in life. And it says there, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
And the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels. What? To reward us for what? For what we've done. So there's things that we can do or not do that will show whether or not we're willing to take certain risks. Through the years I've taken risks, through the years I've invested into a lot of people's lives and a lot of projects, a lot of programs, churches, and honestly not all of them have returned with what the world might call success. But I took a chance. And that's what a chance is. A risk is you might not get a return. Now, if you're focused on earthly realms, then you would only see that, well, if I do, do something, you'd be more like those in the Hall of Fame of Faith that we keep mentioning that live their whole lives having never seen the returns on their investment. So they died in hope, but they died with faith. So we sow, we love, we give, we do these things. We take some chances that we will not see a return. So really, the, the life in the kingdom is not so much an investment that you make to determine how can I be blessed, because then you start thinking more like the rich young ruler or other people who did not want to lose their life. But Jesus is calling people that are going to be risk takers, that are not going to play it safe, but they actually care. So everybody likes to play it safe, but any successful businessman will even tell you that the people who really make the greatest gains are the ones that take the greatest risks. They lay everything down. How many stories have you heard of major corporations and businesses around the world that it required that those people risk everything, lay everything down, second mortgages on their homes, and I mean beyond giving the home away, going into multiple debt, investing, giving. How many of them were on the verge of or actually in bankruptcy before they saw the real turnaround? And the ones who are willing to take a risk have seen great returns. Now, they also sometimes lose, but at least they took a chance. And I really think it would be a better position in life to having, having taken a chance, trying to do something and failed, than never having tried, but always sitting there. Now, this is not just my opinion. I'm speaking all this in regards to something that Jesus said in the same chapter where he mentioned the, the virgins, the five wise and the five foolish, he follows that story up with another story that compounds the concepts of what we need to do to be ready, to be prepared. And we learned about those virgins, but Jesus keeps talking here and he talks about risk. And really the question is, are you a risk taker or a safe player? You know what I mean by playing it safe. Don't want to be too uh, risky about things, but which are you? In different situations, you may be, there's a balance there we're going to talk about also as we move along in this message. But this message is taken from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, and we're going to see seven things about risk. You could say these are seven things about the risks that we take in the kingdom. That we go out and do something for God, there are no clear guarantees of a return, but we take some chances, we do some things, we love, we live, we give, especially the supplies to relationships. If you want relationships that will only always be safe and guarantee a return to you, well then that's the very kind of relationships that Jesus criticized. And that's certainly not the kind of relationship that Jesus has made with us. Jesus took a big gamble, a really big risk, investing so much into us with no guarantees of any return. So he's teaching about this concept here and these seven things we're going to see. Let's start with number one. 
We're all under one master. We know that God is God Almighty. He's over us all. And just like the virgins, we saw that they were given all equal opportunity. Now, we are all given equally opportunity. But here, Jesus fine-tunes the concept a little bit with varying degrees of trust. And the story begins. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So here we see the type of the fact that we have a master in heaven over us. We do know that everybody has a different degree of resources or different caliber of available resources. Opportunity is afforded to everyone, but at different levels, different ways. Some of us are born into very wealthy families. Some of us are born into impoverished homes. There are different degrees. So, therefore, it reflects this parable that, yes, yeah, some people are born with the silver spoon in their mouth, as we say. Some people are born with the five bags of gold. But the question isn't that, that whether or not they have, but what do they do with what they have? And we see five gold, we see uh, two bags of gold, and then we see one bag of gold. And just like... We had seen in the virgins. We see the same thing. And each of these men in this parable is trusted with wealth as a test to see what they would do for their master. And that's the whole issue. The issue is not what they would do for themselves because it's never that in the Bible. What are they going to do for the master? It is the master's goal. He is going on a journey while he's away. He figures these people, and he knows which ones are on different levels and which ones may be more trustworthy than others. So wisely, he gives five bags of gold to one, two to another, and one to someone else. Because he's already assessing and thinking about what they may or may not do. But ultimately, each of them have a choice. And life gives each of us here on earth a varying degree of opportunities and resources. We see this spiritually. We see this naturally. I know I see people all the time here in Singapore. I've noticed, I've seen businesses start up where people have laid everything down on the line to make it happen. And they, they're, they're biting their nails. They're sweating. They're working hard because they've taken a big risk. But I've also seen rich kids under family money. Start a business and you don't see the same focus or energy. And it, worse as it fails, but mom and dad have so much money. You can tell the difference. And so God watches that in the kingdom too. Some people have more than others. Some people have more anointing than others. And we've already discussed many times how that can happen. Some people seem to have a greater degree of favor than others. But it's really all about the fact that to whom much is given, much is required. Whatever we have, God's watching. If it's five bags, if it's two bags, or if it's one bag, there's one master overall, above all, watching and carefully waiting for what you're going to do with it. Why? Because he wants to know how to treat you in the future. He wants to know what you will do for him, not for yourself. What will you do for him? What is your priority? What's important? Is your self-preservation or your protection or your safety, in this case, more important to you? Or is pleasing the master what you want to do? I don't know, for our case as Christians, we decide when we get saved, we receive Jesus, and we want to please our Heavenly Father. We want to do whatever we can to make Him happy. So if He gives us something, really, we begin to think, well, how can I 
do for him what will please him most. And that's a healthy attitude to have. And the responses of these different people in this story mark how each person will do different things with what God gives them. And based upon that, God makes decisions about the next level, the next place. Not just from heaven to, I mean, from earth to heaven, but also from levels on earth. If you're faithful with little, he'll give you more. Of course, there is a big earth test this whole time we spend here will be a test to see what he will give us in eternity. But also it applies incrementally here as we climb the stairs of success or failure, opportunity, what we do for God. God has put a lot into your hands. I would say to Singaporeans that he has put more into your hands than most people on the planet. You might not think so because within your own culture looking, you think, well, you know, I don't have as much as that person or the other person. But being that you are in the top 1%, actually less than 1% of the population of the planet as far as the, the, the available wealth, opportunity, things here, it's a blessed nation. I thank God for it. But we also have to start thinking then we have to be responsible with what we have in our hands. In a global perspective, not just a, 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 a blinded eyes, narrow path here. Don't get tunnel vision and only see your own land and your own place. It's bigger than that. The whole planet, everywhere, there's many needs. Much is given, much is required. Not just to individuals, but to nations as well. And of course, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about skills, knowledge. Things that you take for granted, that you call, and I learned this a long time ago when I first went to a third world country after leaving the United States of America, I ignorantly judged people by expecting them to at least have common sense. But I found out later that common sense is relative to each culture. And on a deeper level, logic in heavy uh, uh, marks of quotations. Logic is dependent upon each culture. And if you take and go into certain cultures, you have, logistically, you can think things out, you can make things happen, and you can do things, maybe not so much because you're just this bright guy or this smart lady, but because you, culturally, were given five bags of gold versus two bags or even one bag. So therefore, in my opinion, it it rests upon you, this obligation to show forth more. If you have more, more is required. It's a biblical principle. So if we have resources, we have education, we have abilities, we, barter, we need to really start thinking about, what am I doing to use what I have? And I did. I went into Mexico as a missionary, and there were things I was able to do there because I grew up in a place where everybody built everything, that I, my whole life, I, I learned cement, masonry, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, cabinet making, flooring, roofing, sheetrock, tiles, everything that is in the construction of a home. Every kid knew that. We all knew how to do that. Because that's just part of the culture. Like we do, we are real D, DIY people. We have views like you have DIY. We have places called Lowe's, Handy City, Home Depot. They are bigger than your biggest giant store over in Tampines. That only hardware. You walk in there and there's all everything you need to build anything. You don't even need a permit. You just go buy it. 
bringing home. And we all have big trucks with large beds that can fit entire sheets of plywood and sheetrock, and we just stack it in there. No one thinks twice about somebody driving down the road with enough sheetrock to do this entire building down here because everybody's doing things like that. My brother, he works in the printing business, actually a supervisorial position. He's doing quite well, and he found that on his spare time, he could start repairing houses and flip them, they call it. Get an old funky house, fix it, up, fix it up, make it nice, and sell it. So it's just a natural part of that skill. Well, when I went to Mexico and I moved into the South, there were people, they did not always, not everybody knew what to do, so they just didn't do things. So it just bothered me. Well, why don't, why don't you do this? Well, we don't know how to do that. I said, yes, just, just do this. So I started doing things. And the more things I did, the more things got accomplished. Why? Because I was carrying from a, a, a knowledge base and experience of my life, just do it. I could do the electrical, I could do this, I could do that, and I found out I could just do this. So that was an example of the five gold bags that I received, multiplying that so that it would be a benefit, not just to myself, but to other people. Using my logic, using my understanding. I'm not very educated scholastically, but I have street smarts, they call it. And I can figure things out, often quicker than the people with the highest degrees. You know, I heard that joke a long time. Some people have so many, they have more degrees than a thermometer, and it doesn't do much for them. Because if you don't have the common sense, once again, there's that word, common sense. But God's put stuff in your hands, and you have to really start thinking about what are you going to do? You might have five bags, you might have two bags, you might just have one bag, but God's watching you. We all have one master, amen? Number two. Let's see three characteristics of a risk taker. Verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Well, here very simply, I see three characteristics of a risk taker embedded in this passage. First, it says he went at once. Then he didn't hesitate. Immediately, he responded to the challenge given him by the master, and he made a plan to reproduce and be productive. He just he didn't sit around waiting for somebody to tell him what to do. He found resources in his hands, and the master just gave it to him. And basically, the master did not give them a blueprint, a plan, and say, this is what I want you to do. It was left to them. On their own recognizance, they had to decide, what can I do to make this Work. I mean, this you can go out and buy some plastic bags and some drink mix and sugar and water and put it in there and stick them in your freezer, turn around and sell them. I mean, you can make money many different ways. Go get some flour and some chocolate chips and some eggs and butter, make cookies and sell them. Money can be made. But this guy, of course, he made a plan. It doesn't say exactly what he did. It just says that he doubled his profit in, in a period of time that the master was away. But he went at once. And there's a lot of people dragging their feet. But a risk taker is somebody that's not waiting a long time. They just they get into action. They go and they do something, do something to try to multiply what they have, to try to be a blessing. Secondly, he put his money to work. Oh, there's that four-letter dirty word. <laughs> and work really was the key. He put his money to work. He didn't put his money to rest. Doesn't say he put his money to bed. We'll see that guy later. But right now, he's putting his money to work. Immediately, instead of just letting that money sit there staring at the bags of gold, 
he had to take some risks and spend that gold with no guarantees. You understand? First of all, get this clear in your head. There are no guarantees. In this life, there are no guarantees. But he put the money to work. Work is always the truth behind success. God honors hard work. And he's looking for laborers, not observers, as we say, to go into the harvest field. He's looking for us to do things, functioning, working for him. And that's where we will find our greatest joy. It says, thirdly, he gained five more. And the man with two gained two more. Because he was given two, he had two more. He ended up with four. This guy ends up with ten. He profited from his risk. Now, even if you fail after taking a risk, you're still showing a desire to please God. And this is where we have to understand we have no guarantees of our earthly investments. We have no guarantees. The Bible speaks a lot about risk assessment concerning what we do for people. We cast our bread upon the waters after many days it comes back. We believe in reciprocity in such a way that maybe the earth and business ideals or concepts will not quite embrace. But we are spiritual. We are people of spirit and faith. We believe that if we sow into somebody's life, it will come back to us because God's word says it. You give to the ones that can never pay you in return. He says, I will reward you personally for it. And then when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You visit. All these things require gold. All, things, all these things require some type of sacrifice. I've worked in missions work for more than 30 years. It's expensive. And you almost never see a real physical return. And there's a movement that people are trying very hard to see a physical return. They want to invest in missions, but say, oh, it's better that we do businesses so those businesses can pay for themselves and take care of things. That's true. I would like to do that, but the fact is also true that there's something to be said about just investing money so that people can freely work full-time representing the church, especially if they're sent from a place that has five bags of gold. Then for a small amount of an investment, in the spiritual, we can afford to support that missionary. We do that here in this church. We support missionaries. We pay for them. But we're also using wisdom. How can we make money? What can we do to see there come some return? But honestly, that you can we can invent all kinds of projects about how to make a lot of money on the mission field and what we can do. And I know some amazing success stories of friends of mine, but it's all a risk. And the bottom line is that our greatest concern is spirit. I think of Bitcoin. Recently, I was doing some research. Um, <laughs> trading had over a 50% loss in less than a month. Yes. And this means that from $19,199.02 for one Bitcoin, it's its height, one Bitcoin, it dropped to $6,994.55 in a period of less than two weeks. Now, when it was doing that climb, everybody thought, oh, get rich quick. There's people who, who sold their businesses, sold their homes, retirement, everything invested it entirely into Bitcoin and wrote it as it climbed, but then when it crashed, it crashed bad. Yes. If you look at the graph of growth and decline, it's just bad. It looks like someone fell out of an airplane. It just goes straight down. There are people who lost everything. I mean, it's easy for us to laugh in this room. I don't think we were invested in Bitcoin. But if you had invested, that is a horrible place to be. You saw all your money going. 
And there are people who are suing people who sold them Bitcoin. But actually, it was your choice to buy the Bitcoin. And they just made some, some risks. Sometimes there's a loss in life. We do our best. Uh, in fact, one week after that, it lost half its value. Another week after that, it lost another 30% of its value. Now it's just, it's down. It, they don't know where it's going to go right now. And I've done this. We took a risk. Uh, my wife and I took a risk when we went to Acapulco. And God had a mandate on us. He had a great call on us to go to Mexico. And when we went, we went with our six-week-old baby. Our baby was only six weeks old. And we went by ourselves. No support structure, no help. We had some limited money, but really basically just what we had in our possession. And back then there were no ATMs. There was no way to get money. We just went in faith with whatever money I had. And it was many, many weeks before we got that first money from the Western Union office that somebody sent us. And I was so excited when it finally came in because we had been sleeping on the floor for weeks. We had nothing. We had blankets on the floor. You've heard me tell the story before. It's a true story. I'm not exaggerating. We laid on the floor. I had a shoe. I held it on my chest so that I could kill the scorpions through the night. Wow. With our baby between us, my wife, this is a true story. You can ask, my wife's right there. You can ask her. She's there, baby between us, and me with a shoe. Because you can hear those, those little evil beasts. They actually make a crunchy, scratchy sound when they're crawling the brick in the house. You could hear it. And what's really scary is you kill one. There's a saying in Mexico that there's um, always two. <laughs> and it's true. If you kill one, you can't go to sleep. Because there's another one there. And it's always true. I've never seen it not true. So then you just, you just keep up all night waiting. And we didn't have anything. We had no way. There was glass missing. We couldn't afford to put glass in the windows where it was broken out for a long time to that first money came in. We took a big risk going down there. And we sowed our lives into those people. We took a risk that they would never give anything back to us. That they would never care. That they would not receive the gospel. But we were risk takers and we decided to do it. We took risks by coming here. We took a risk by uh, going to India when we were there for those years. We took a risk moving down up here from the ninth floor. And it has not worked out exactly like we expected it to work out. But what are we supposed to do? Not take risks? Play it safe? Be careful? Use great wisdom and not stretch yourself? Not try to step out there? If you don't stretch yourself, if you don't take risks, you'll never really see. And you'll find that in this parable, God is not happy about people who play it safe. But he's thrilled about people who take chances. And I've invested my life into people for Jesus all over the world. Some are lost and some are win. I know people I put my whole life into for many years, did everything within my power, but it just, they just decided one day that I'm not fit and that, well, doesn't matter. We don't agree with this. We don't agree with that. Well, what am I supposed to do? There are people who I invest into and are very grateful for what I've done. And there's a return for them. Some, we kind of hedge our bets in relationships. Meaning that we have a diversified portfolio of, of relationship investments. And so when this investment over here fails, Bitcoin didn't work. And I tried loving Bitcoin and caring about him, but it just didn't. It just failed. It fell apart. He turned on me, even lied, cheat, stole, whatever it is. That's fine because I have a lot of investments around the world where I have sown and there is a return and people do love and care and are concerned and will do anything to be able to bless my life and I, not to mention what extends into eternity. So it's good to be a risk taker in that regard. 
And there are, of course, safer ways of working and investing. There are, however, no absolute guarantees. There's no guarantees. The safest, the bottom line you're going to see later on is actually taking the money and putting it in the bank to gain interest. Because that's what he tells the guy with the book. We'll see it later. But, but overall, that was the bare minimum. He wasn't, anybody can put money in the bank and get interest. That's being very careful, but at least it's not just inactivity, which we'll see later. But let's go to number three. These are three characteristics of a safe player. We saw first the risk taker and how he went at once. He put money to work. He gained five more. Now we see this guy, three characteristics of a safe player, Matthew 25, 18. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole, in the ground and hid his master's money. So here's his three characteristics. He went off. Now, he did not go at once to do something that was a coordinated effort, but he went off. He went off away from the others. He obviously was not following the example of the five-bag guy or the two-bag guy. He could have at least gotten with the five-bag guy and said, hey, why don't you take my bag too and we'll work together because it looks like you have some kind of a plan. But he didn't. He went off. And there's reasons why we're going to get to it in a moment. But he separated from the risk takers. He got with people who use great wisdom and care and careful planning and would not take any risks. He started thinking that he may have even come under counsel concerning that. Oh, the master gave you? Man, you better be careful. You know, he's, he's a shrewd man. He's actually a mean guy, right? So... What happens if you lose that? Ah, shudder to think what would happen if I lose this. And it started working on him. Fear started working in him. Second, he dug a hole. Yeah, he had a plan, all right. It was a bad plan. He dug a hole. He just dug a hole. And when you avoid risk and play it safe, you often end up doing things that are not profitable. They will not. There's no risk involved. You're hitting, you've hidden it. It's just stuck in the ground. And this is not the same as careful investment. And this is why he criticizes him later. This is actually inaction. Now, this can be done in many ways without you even realizing you're doing it. God can commission you. God can speak to you. He can empower you, give you certain resources, abilities, and maybe spiritual endowments. The most important of all, the anointing come upon you. Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Receive the gifts of the Spirit. You have these abilities to become an effective witness and also a blessing to people all over, maybe in a certain demographic where you are safe, those people are not very open to you. But there may be less safe venues where people will be very open to you. And where your gifts will have a great effect. But it's going to require an increasing amount of risk on your part to take those chances, to do those things. But here he hid his master's money. So he hid the treasure he received. Many people receive the treasure of God, but keep it hidden. They bury it away. And we did not receive the power of God to not be a witness. We've received it to be a witness. We receive it to do something. We've not been given wisdom and knowledge in God's kingdom and all the elements of the kingdom so that we can bury it deep and hide it. This could be related to the fact that if I come and tell you about Jesus, you get saved, you receive Jesus. What do you do? That is the first bag of gold you get in a spiritual capacity is the knowledge of Jesus that Jesus saves. A lot of people hide that away. Why? For usually one reason, because it's dangerous to talk about, or it may cause problems. It might. It may cause people to get saved. It may cause you to be rejected and persecuted. Most likely the latter, because that's more common. But it's so what? 
it also will get people saved. If you share it, if you hide it in your heart, however, the Lord has a certain mentality about people who do that. And that's what this parable really uncovers. Let's go to number four. We will all be held accountable for what we have been given. We have a settling of accounts here. Matthew 25, 19, after a long time. And that's interesting. Not after a short time, after a long time. It says the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now a long time means quite a bit of time had passed by. Matthew 24, 48 speaks about the fact, another parable also, he often said parables about this using the same images. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. See, here we see this pattern again. We're going to be held accountable. There's a time coming, but we see different mentalities here that they're thinking, well, he's a long time coming. Remember that life is a test that God gives us to see what we will do, what he puts in our hands. The error of this man mentioned here in Matthew 24 is that he did not feel accountable to his master. He felt that he could get away with something for a long time so he could begin to do misdeeds, mistreat people. How is that? In other words, maybe in relationships, he started being gruff and mean, didn't care. It says he mistreated them where he should have treated them right. He should have, should have treated them with respect. But sometimes you start to do things and you think, well, you know, you're waiting for the hammer to come down on you. You're waiting for God to judge you. Waiting for lightning to strike you. When the lightning doesn't come, you figure, well, I guess he accepts this. No, he's just a long time coming. The Bible says he's slow to anger. Why? Because he's a God of grace and mercy. He's giving us time. The learning curve is very long with him. He gives it to us because of his love. He wants us to figure it out so that we can do the things that please him. But here, Jesus is warning us that don't be like the foolish guy here. This servant is wicked. He says, my master's staying away alone. Do whatever I want to do. No, be very careful. We must never forget that God is always watching us. He may take a long time to bring us to account, but he is aware of everything. And I thank God for his delay because that is grace, but do not sin so that grace will abound. Make sure that you start to really think, what does the Bible say? This is one of the reasons why he's a long time coming because people don't read the Bible enough. And they're running in ignorance about these deeper patterns. If you read them again and again and again and you program your psyche with them, you start really shortening your responses to people. You start becoming kinder. You start thinking, okay, I need to represent Christ. I need to do it the right way. Because I'm going to be held accountable for this. Remember the moments when you read the Bible and you feel guilty because you realize I've been doing the wrong things. And you go to the Lord and what do you do? You repent. You say, I see now in the light of the Scriptures I've been living the wrong way. And it's often very disturbing. You feel sick about it. But as soon as you bring it to the Lord of mercy and tell Him, He's like, finally, I was just waiting for you to catch up. But now, you, once you know it, you're accountable for that information. And that's why it's good to constantly have messages preached where you hear the deeper things about what we need to do, what Jesus is expecting from us. And He is expecting something. 
And we all will be held accountable for what He's given us. If He's blessed you, He's watching you, but He's watching you with grace. He's slow to anger, rich in love. His mercy's new every morning. And we can celebrate all those passages, but never should we forget that we will have to give an account for exactly how everything works in life. He knows truth. He's watching. But we should do our best. Number five. You see, the difference between the two kinds of people in the parable. Now, we're going to draw the line and kind of look at this. On the accounts that are given of the risk takers, we see that the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you trusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. Now that's good news that we would all want to hear at the end of this life or even in daily increments. That whatever he gives us, that he would be happy with because we see it multiply in a very practical sense. If you consider multiplication as a reproduction of the thing that you are or have, in this case gold made gold. But if we are Christians, I think really the best type of productivity that we can ever show is making Christians. That is bringing people to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the good thing is that even according to this parable, if we carry it, if he's given us and we are a soul and we win one soul and make that disciple, he's happy with that. And in fact, this is, I heard this a long time ago. If the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today were at one time to win each one of us one soul, it would absolutely transform planet Earth. Yeah. It would completely change everything. If we could just win one soul, now I'm not talking about one soul a week or one soul a day, one soul. I'm talking about one soul in our lifetime that we could really win, make a disciple that would remain, and then they make a disciple that would remain. Well, that plays into this principle of five makes five, two makes two. Or well, we see one, which we're getting into in a moment, but the master wants to be happy about the success of the harvest, but he wants you to share in it. He says, come, enjoy your master's happiness. He wants our happiness to be all the same. And really, it is the greatest happiness I've ever experienced is when somebody comes to the knowledge of Christ. On deeper levels, when somebody comes to the knowledge of deeper things in Christ, I love to see someone come into the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, come into the knowledge of the anointing, come into the knowledge of the Scriptures, how beautiful His Word is, how it changes us, how it transforms us, and I love sharing and teaching anything I receive. He gives me bags of gold I call revelation. He teaches me something in the Word of God. I can't wait to teach it. In fact, I want to teach it to the nations. I'll go out to many nations and teach it, which I will do. I'm excited. I don't waste my gold either. I have all my gold archived. I have it in, in very safe places so that I can keep investing it. And say, so how do you do that? Well, I teach the revelations He gave me. I give it to somebody else. They receive that revelation and it changes them like it changed me. And then they in turn teach it. And so suddenly I have this spiritual pyramid scheme and I'm on top of it getting all of the proceeds of these spiritual transactions that are taking place. It's a good place to be. You need to start finding out how to get your 
Holy Ghost Herbalife and, and you know your Amway or your Tupperware, however it works, find your position so that you can make a difference and use the talents that he's given you. But that's just a very practical way of looking at it. Matthew 24, 45 says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? I like this. Because in light of what I just shared about Revelation, that's just it. There's feeding time here. Wednesdays, Thursdays, Sundays. I feed. I'm going to constantly do that. But we also can do the same. People on our jobs, wherever we go, at the proper time, we bring the information, we share, we love. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him so doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So that's the risk taker. And of course that's a risk that you take. I have planted churches where I've preached the gospel for long periods of time and those churches have just literally quit me. And churches, not just... I'm talking about groups where I spend a year of my life every week going teaching, preaching, and I share that story all the time. The, one of the most embarrassing episodes in my apostolic ministry and career is that family of people every week go teach. They're, they're enjoying it. We're having a wonderful time. Then one day I go there, not after a year, I knock on the door, and they, they're at the door. I'm used to just going in and eating snacks and Coke, and, you know, it's, yay, it's Bible time. This time they met me at the door. I said, What's wrong? Oh, oh, um, we're doing something different now. And I said, well, well, we're with other people. And I said, what do you mean you're with other people? He said, well, they have magazines. Huh? I said, magazines? And they pulled out the Watchtower to Wake magazines. <laughs> yeah. Jehovah's Witness. Oh. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. But the pictures are really pretty. Huh? I said, no, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. No, we really like it. Thank you. And shut the door in my face. Wow. Uh, Risk-taking again. You're not always going to see the return like you expect. You say, well, what happened later on? Did you ever get them? No, never. They never came back. I continued years in that neighborhood. And smugly the Jehovah's Witness would walk by my door all the time. <laughs> Go down there to where I had a church. I had another church next to the Pepsi bottling plant. We were there. Remember that bar? We were there every week. So in our lives, setting up tents, feeding, clothing, drinks, everything. Just drink, loving these people, begging them. Jesus loves you. They were coming. They were coming. They were coming. And then, then, then somebody came with clothes to give away. In the middle of my preach, I'm preaching, and they all got up. All of them, not not like one or two. Every single person got up and ran away from my tent. Left me there by myself, and because somebody was giving out clothes, I had already given them clothes, and then they decided, well, because they have clothes, we're going to go to that church. Just like that, just like that, so easily. You just you sow your life into people. You don't know. And this is the thing: if you are the this particular the risk taker, if you're a risk taker, you know this going into it. That's why it's called. A and you, this is really what makes or breaks uh, the risk taker versus the, the, the one that is the one that wants to say stay. It, it's understanding what you're doing. See, the investments you're making, you're not making them into man to begin with. You're making them into the eternities. You're making it into God and his kingdom. God will reward that. 
I get a reward in eternity for those people who like the magazines better. I get a reward in eternity for all the people at the Pepsi bottling plant that decided I was no longer relevant. I get a reward for that. Because there are churches that did grow and did develop. And I just consolidated my efforts there. Jesus himself was rejected from a village. His disciples are so mad they want to call fire down. He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. You know, we'll just go to another village. Sometimes you just, you okay, you tried. It didn't work. You failed. So, so what, you're going to stop investing? And that's what happens. We become fearful because this is what happens in early Christian life. People get saved. They get excited. They tell people about Jesus. Those people persecute them, yell at them, hate them, and they feel spanked and punished. And as a result, no longer want to share their faith because they feel that it's not going to do any good because it's these people that nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Well, if you understand, as I did early in my Christian life, that the investment is not into the people, it's into God and His kingdom. And you just keep on going. Keep on going. Come and share your master's happiness, he will tell you. Now we see the account of the safe player. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your town in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. He's wiping the dirt off of it. Here, it's okay, see? Gives him the gold bag. So we see the risk taker and the safe player. Really, the risk taker says, Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. That's simple. Okay, you took your chance. You did it, great. But the same player, I knew that you were a hard man. So I was afraid. And that segues us into number six. Reasons for not taking a risk. Well, he was governed by fear. Bottom line. Fear of man. Fear of loss. Fear of failure. Fear of failure is more connected to fear of a loss of reputation. Because if you fail and it didn't work, then people will say you're a failure. Okay, let's just think about that for a moment. If we judge people, ministries, spiritual activities on earth, according to the terms of success or failure, well, Jesus was a big failure. He was a total bust. Paul, even worse. Paul's whole first journey, total waste of time. Everything fell apart. Everybody, he caused a revival of idolatry in one city. He, he was chased out of that city. Everything he did and started growing, the Jews would follow him and find him and poison those people and they would follow him. And he's, any church he ever did, he invested. He did so much. He taught them. He tried and the Jews would go after them and poison their minds where he'd have to write letters to them. You foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? I, I, what do you, you think started in the spirit? You make it perfect in the flesh. I wish these people that tell you to circumcise it would circumcise themselves, but go all the way. <laughs> I'm quoting Paul. I'm not being coarse. He said, just cut the whole thing off. Paul was mad. I understand why he was mad. Because he took risks and he lost. Again and again. Paul the failure. Jesus, gosh. Nobody's ever tried to throw me off a cliff. Not yet. Jesus took a risk. He preached out of that passage and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your ears and in your eyes. Ah, and they took him out on the hill. They're going to throw him off the cliff. That's called a failure. <laughs> but we look at it from a spiritual perspective. Why? Because it's Jesus. 
But no, we do the same things. But if we become riddled with fear, fear of man, I knew that you were a hard man, we fear people, and as a result, well, we don't really want to take a risk because if we lose it, it's dangerous. Fear of loss, well, I may put all this into it and not see it come back. Jesus said, don't worry about that. Just so. Cast your bread upon the waters. Many days later, it'll come back. But there's no guarantee of that. You just cast it out of the water. Yes. But what about loss? Yeah, of course it's possible that you lose it, but you're giving into a system that is eternal. You put your treasure in a place where moth cannot get to, the canker worm cannot eat, and the thief cannot break in to take it. It will only multiply. So there is no real loss. Loss from your earthly perspectives. Fear of failure. Why? People are going to say, you failed. What did you ever amount to? I can say that about Jesus right now. What did he ever amount to? There's no Jesus bridge. There's no tower of Christ. There's no Christ cathedral where not built by him anyway. And believe me, he probably wouldn't go there if he was on earth. Because he had nothing to do with it. He wasn't very successful. Do you want to go into Jeremiah? You know why he wrote Lamentations? Because his whole ministry was a bust. It didn't work. As it says in Hebrews, they died having never seen their, their hopes realized. It was never substantiated. They failed. Big X's. All of them fail. So what we should today not be prophets, not be teachers, not be preachers, not represent the Lord Jesus Christ even at the risk of being crucified. No, he said if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not even my disciple. In other words, if you're not willing to lose your life, then you can't even be with me because we are life losers. That's what we do. We lose our lives. We pay a price And it doesn't matter. Because we have an eternal reward. We fail, so what? And it doesn't mean that these other guys didn't fear. The guy with the five gold bags, he feared, I'm sure of it. The guy with the two gold bags, he feared too. But he crossed the line of his fear anyway. We're all going to have to confront fears about the things we do for God. About the things we do in life. That's just the way it is. So we join the ranks of Jeremiah, Jesus, Paul. Peter, crucified upside down. That's all failures. How do we assess success anyway? How do we, how do we, how do we think of it? What is success? Success is, is a worldly concept from that perspective. Failure, death on the cross is a conquest. But he rose again. So will you. But you have to take a risk. In life, we all experience things, things that hurt us. They cause us to not want to do more. You know, you get hurt in enough relationships, you don't want to relate to anybody. You don't, you don't want to. There's times in my life, I've, I've just been no more disciple. I don't want to make disciples. I don't want to care for people. I don't want to love people. I don't want to sow in their lives because it just keeps coming back against them. And Satan will come and tell you, yeah, that's what you need to do. Just just go off and be you by yourself. Don't, don't take any more risks. Don't take any more chances. Thank God Jesus doesn't have that attitude. Thank God the Father didn't have that attitude. Paul, I keep mentioning Paul because it's true. Risk, risk measures the uncertainty that an investor is willing to take to realize a gain, a potential gain for his investment. Risk implies future uncertainty about deviation from expected earnings 
or expected outcome. Dictionary definition. You have an assessment in your mind. I'm going to do this for Christ and it's going to work this way. He said, don't go to that village and say, I'll buy and sell and make great gains. Say, as the Lord wills. Just be willing to do it. That's what he's looking. He's looking for the effort. Paul, man, he's so many things. This is He writes this to the Philippians after that disastrous first journey and all the problems he ran into. Brothers and sisters, look, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm not successful, is what he's saying. I've not made the goal. I've not walked through and have been, I can't be branded as a success. But there's one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Just doesn't quit. Remember, it is impossible to please God without faith. Having faith means taking risks. It's the same thing. It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. That sounds risky to me. Because it is. Number seven, it's the last point. The master is displeased with people who always play it safe. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest at least. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one that has ten bags. He called him wicked. He called him lazy. He took away the one thing he had. Now this is this is the irony of what happens here. What this man feared became his reality because of fear. You understand? The others feared also, but they did not yield to fear. The real difference between these people is not that there's fear, not the master, same master, same issues, same challenges. It's just one guy yielded to fear and one guy stared it in the eyes, shaking and trembling and did it anyway. You hear Paul's stories in fears, in turmoils, in pain, in sickness, day and night in the deep, gosh, he wouldn't quit. Man was insane. Kept going, kept going, kept going. Every once in a while, he'd get bit by a snake and God would turn it into a miracle. He still got bit by a snake. Still, it did not feel good to have a snake's teeth fasten on your hand. He went through things, but God was able to use those things. Timothy also, he had to deal with the same fears that Paul had to encourage him. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. Conclusion, Matthew 25.29 For everyone, the risk takers, who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have the safe players even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very serious lesson. These are the things we saw. Taking chances. Seven things about risk. We're all under one master. 
Second, three characteristics of a risk taker. We saw those. He went at once. He made a plan. He did what he had to do, and he multiplied that money. Three characteristics of a safe player. Well, he, 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 out of fear, driven by fear, went, dug a hole, buried it, covered it. And we're all going to be held accountable when the master came back after a long time waiting to see. Can't help but think the master was hoping he would go out in that backyard and, and dig up that gold and do something before he got back. Maybe even one of the other servants saw him do it and sent word, hey, you know the guy you gave the one bag to? Yeah, that's well, the one I gave him one bag. Because I knew he was a risk. And now we see something interesting. We see God taking risks on us. The difference between the two kinds of people in the parable is very simple. One yields a fear, one not. Reasons for not taking a risk? Well, as I say, it's fear. The master's displeased with that. But what risks are we willing to take to produce for God? Success or fail? Make it, don't make it. When the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on the earth? Will He find you doing something that's caused you to take risks? Remember, we equated it with, with faith. You don't have a guarantee. Anybody that tells you yeah, whatever you do in faith will succeed, that's not even biblical. That's not even in the Bible. There's no formulas for success in the Bible. The only thing that we have that is concrete and forever is our eternal position in Christ. And nothing can take His love from us, nor us from His love. And nothing can snatch us out of His hand. So we need to take a chance. We need to take a chance on people. Yeah, they're going to hurt you. They're going to they're do you wrong. You're going you're to dump your life into people. In the beginning, you naively think that it's going to pay you back and that everything is going to work perfectly. And then you go through a series of deep wounds that are cut into you. And then you have a choice at that moment in your life. Will you continue to invest anyway? Will you face the fear and just walk through it? Because there will be people that will make a difference. There will be people that you are able to affect. Take a chance on the kingdom. Take a chance on God. You know why? Because He took a chance on you. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for you with no guarantees that you would receive it. In fact, it says He, he sent His Son to them in His, his own, and His own received Him not. He took a gamble and lost in that regard. He tried. The whole Jewish nation you see that shift to the Gentiles that took place. You write, read Hebrews. Stiff-necked, hard-hearted. He dumped his life. He took a chance. Just one more. Let's see. And Jesus even told the parable. They killed the servants that had come to take the harvest. But when they sent the son of the master that owned it, they said, ah, here's the heir. If we kill him, we get it. That's what God got in response for the risk he took on us to send Jesus that Jesus, if the Father was willing to take that risk on me, then I have to pay that Father. And of course we know, he, Jesus didn't have his eyes set on earthly success. That's why he left nothing on earth. He, he already knew. For the glory set before him, it says, he endured the shame. We just recently studied that passage. Because he knew, not earthly reward, he knew, no, no, this, this was nothing here. That's why he said, you, you, know, you save your life, you're going to lose it. You lose your life. Risk it all for me. 
Well, Jesus, we left everything for you. What did we get? Oh, you, you don't worry. You're going to sit on 12 thrones and rule in eternity. The rewards that they got. Why? For taking risks. And that's what we need to do. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.